Okay, we're going to get started. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love and for dying for us on the cross. We could never uh, walk into your presence unless we were clothed with blood that could uh, take and remove our sin. Lord, we don't measure up to your standard. We can't just walk into your presence without the precious, wonderful blood of Jesus Christ. And so we just we put that on like a robe today by faith. We just want to abide in it and remember all that you have done for us, Jesus. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to be able to understand your word. And we pray that you'd help us to know that we've been forgiven of our sin and we're walking with your Holy Spirit leading us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today we're studying the ninth commandment, which is don't lie. All right, so don't lie. Let's go home. I love doing that. (laughs) Oh, if it were only that simple, right? Um, Did you guys know writing letters of recommendations can be hazardous to your health? Um, You guys ever asked your employer to write you a letter of recommendation? Well, it's gotten kind of sketchy for the employers these days because if they write a negative uh, letter of recommendation, they can actually be sued for defamation and it can be kind of hazardous to their walk. So I want to read to you this one guy, uh, Robert Thornton of Lehigh University, had a collection of virtually litigation-proof phrases that you can put in your um, letters of ambiguous recommendation. Basically, when you don't think this person is really great, but you want to say something that seems nice. Okay? So... To describe a per, an inept person, right? You say, I enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. Because <laughs> they have no qualifications whatsoever. Okay, okay. So I was just making sure we're all on the same page. You with me? Where's Jonathan? You good? You, you with me? All right, cool. <laughs> to describe an ex-employee who had problems getting along with fellow workers. I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. (laughs) He stresses the form. Okay. Uh, To describe an unproductive candidate, I can assure you that no person would be better for the job. (laughs) To describe an applicant not worthy of consideration... I would urge you to waste no time in making this candidate an offer of an employment of employment. That was kind of confusing, right? We, it's like, wait, what are you trying to say? Are you telling me the truth, or what is the truth in this sentence? I, we did that exercise, and we're all trying to figure out what, what did he actually mean by that. It was kind of confusing. Well, I hope that we will have more clarity. Uh, after our study today, we're going to learn, I'm going to tell you right now what we're going to learn, that lying is sourced from Satan, okay, and that the truth is sourced from Jesus, but that's going to mean a lot more to you after we're done today than it, than it does right now, okay, so we're just going to, we're going to go there. Exodus chapter 20 verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Okay? We've been studying these laws, these commandments, and these commandments are, are straight-up law. They, they don't change, okay? but they also don't save us. When we try our best to keep them, uh, we're still going to fail. We're not going to measure up to his standards, and, and so lying is a really good way for us to remember that. We've all told lies. Anyone in here never told a lie? Liar. 
Just <laughs> liar. You just lied right now. Proving my point, right? So, you know, we're not studying these so that I can say, all of you stop lying and start telling the truth. That is just me telling you, keep the law, which is what the Jews did for thousands of years. And it's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, you are liars, but I love you and I can transform you if you abide in me and think about and meditate and grasp onto what I did, my truth, you will be set free from a lying, the, the whole lying thing, okay? And so uh, it, what is the meaning of lying? I wrote down hashtag at alternative facts. Um, <laughs> lying uh, means obviously to lie, duh, um, you know, to testify falsely in court. We could say exaggerating is a lie. Another, another thing would be slander, which is intentionally trying to hurt someone's character by inventing or spreading false information. Or flattery, you know, trying to impress people or make someone feel good about themselves. Um, gossip, you know, not sure if it's true, but repeating it anyway. You know, all these things are, are simply lying. Don't do it. Don't be any part of it. Keep your dirty mouth shut. Okay? Oh, and just in case you thought you might be able to do that, you can also lie or break this command by not speaking up when you hear a false fact and don't counter it with truth. Hmm. Then you can be unknowingly spreading lies by ignorance of the truth. Anyone listen to NPR radio? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad nobody was like, hey, me. Uh, and yeah, 10 Jesus points for everybody. There you go. <laughs> NPR is, is a interesting, you know, the hashtag alternative facts thing is, is, a, is a cultural thing out there right now where, uh, you know, it was, it was a funny thing that happened in politics, and I don't really care about it. But I just want to read this article from, an M, from the NPR website. I'm just reading a part of it. Allow me to share. Um, the guy named Andrew Schlettelman. But there are many alternative facts that are just as absurd from an empirical point of view, but widely endorsed nonetheless. That dinosaurs once coexisted with humans. That humans appeared on the earth in their current form. That the sun revolves around the earth. That vaccines cause autism. Uh, that genetically modified foods are dangerous to eat. That humans are not responsible for climate change. Such misconceptions have been documented for decades by the Gallup Organization and the National Science Foundation, and they abound not just in the U.S., but also in Asia and Europe. Okay, so I just read you a quote from this article, okay? Now, Andrew Schlettelman, this author, claims to know the truth. He claims. He, he's writing an article just full-on claiming to know the truth. I read that article, and I think he's an idiot. Because I think he's wrong. I think his assumption about a lot of those things, not all of them, I think he had some of them correct, and, and some of them, a lot of them, I think he had totally off base. But what is his source of truth for his point of view? How did he claim to know what was right and wrong? He says it's the Gallup Organization and the National Science Foundation. That is his source of truth. That is his undeniable truth. His word of God 
is these two organizations that I know very little about and I don't care about because they're just people. Who cares? Okay? There may be some scientists. Maybe they have some PhDs. I don't care. But he does. That is his source of truth. And he's wrong. He's spouting lies as truth because he probably sincerely believes them. What are you saying? You can lie even if you sincerely believe what you're saying is the truth? Yeah, because lying is not just making a decision saying I'm going to misrepresent the truth and I'm going to lie, but lying is when you are not in the truth. When the truth is not you, part of you, emanating from you. That's what lying can be. And we don't want to live like that. I don't want to be like Andrew Schlittleman. I think I've changed that every time I've said it, but <laughs> he'll forgive me. We want to know the truth and we want to speak the truth. We're commanded to, to bear no false witness. To be a true witness. To really, when we say something, say what's true. So, this is the old covenant demand as stated in the law. Never lie, always tell the truth, okay? But the law, just because there's 10 rules, can't make us stop lying. Law can't force us to know the truth. The law can't force us to tell the truth. It's only there to demand what's right. So let's see what changes after Jesus brings his love and grace into our lives. So fast forward to Colossians chapter 3 for me. Just turn in your Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 3, chapter, I said 3, uh, verses 9 and 10. In the book of Colossians, he's telling us what why being a Christian is so amazing, why it's so different from what we were before we were in Christ. And in chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The gospel is so awesome. It is such good news. Jesus, he writes his law on our hearts with his Holy Spirit. We don't just try our best to do what's right. Oh, I became a Christian. Now what do I do? Well, you just do your best. Do what you think is best. Do what you think is right. Hey, here's a list of 10 things. Try your best to do them. Have you ever known anyone like that? Have you ever been that person? I know I have. And that is simply not what Christianity is. Jesus writes his law on our hearts. And it's such a new life. It's such a new creation. He makes us a new creation. He took us for being far from God, and he brought us close to God simply by his blood. When he covers us with his blood, it changes who we are, what we are, and where we have access to. He clothes us in his blood. And we can put on his blood like a coat in faith when we just believe the gospel. The gospel of his grace. As soon as we say, I need you, God, and I believe, Jesus, that you are what I need, 
We are putting on that gospel as a coat. And he said here, don't lie to one another because you put off the old man with his deeds and you put on the new man, the new covenant. So if you're putting on Jesus in his life, does Jesus ever lie? No. In Jesus, when we're clothed with him, when we're in that coat, we have the ability to not lie to one another, to be able to put off that old man. What's the old man? The old man is what we were in Adam. It's what we received from Adam. It's all that we could do in our flesh, which is summed up in one word, rebel. What is Adam most famous for? Yeah, sinning, messing up in the garden. And he's our greatest human that ever lived. He's our grandpa that fought in the war. And we have a black and white picture of him. And, you know, <laughs> he is the best human that ever lived. He didn't have a dysfunctional family. His dad never beat him. His mom didn't abandon him. He grew up with God as his dad. Talk about a good environment. Okay, he did better than any of us ever could. He was a perfect man. And he still was just failed in rebellion. That's the, the mark of his life, what he did. But in Christ, there's a different fatherhood. There's a different line that we get, we get our DNA from. First, we got our DNA from Adam. But in Christ, we get a new DNA from Jesus. And it comes into us and it makes us Christ-like. Instead of Adam's rebellion, we get Jesus' surrender and submission to God and his will. Isn't that crazy? And it's not something that we have to try. How many of you tried hard to get born? It just doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. And the new life that Christ offers also kind of doesn't make sense. What do you mean I just believe in the gospel and he provides this new life to me. Well, that's exactly what I mean. It does not depend on your efforts or work. We have the ability and freedom to put this rebellious way of living away, to set it aside. Lying is the core behavior of this rebellious life Adam gave to us. Adam, why did you eat this? The woman her fault that's not the whole truth adam is it you're trying to divert the lying was the first thing a rebellious person did and i know when i am rebellious lying is the first thing i do too verse 10 in, in colossians it said you have put having put on the new man that is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him so now we replace that old way of life with lying and rebellion with the new way of life, which he says here is like renewed. It's like being renewed. Back to the way it was before Satan tricked Adam in the Garden of Eden with a lie. Right? Remember? Satan came along to Adam and he said, why don't you eat this, you know, fruit? Adam's like, well, we're not supposed to. And what did Satan do? He lied to him. He said, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. 
You're going to get all these benefits. And it was Satan's lie that Adam thought was truth. Satan's lie is what Adam hung his coat on. What he believed in was Satan's lie. But when we believe in Jesus, you and I are deciding not to believe in Satan's lie, but instead to go back to how Adam was before he ate the fruit, which was we are in the truth. We are believing God's truth. We're, be, we're going back to being in the image of God. You know, is God's image ever a liar? No, it's, it's in the truth. It represents truth. God is true, and as image bearers, we have to be true as well. That's why Paul says, do not lie to one another. It's not an additional command like, believe in Jesus and don't lie to one another. It's not compatible with the Holy Spirit. He says, believe in Jesus and you're given the Holy Spirit, and now you can't lie to one another because that's not compatible with all that God has given you and made you to be. Lying. It's not what the life inside us is. What is the life that Jesus gives? It's truthfulness. It's not our nature when we have his life dwelling inside us to lie. It's not the water, what the water inside our souls tastes like. If, if your soul was a fountain and it was producing water, it doesn't taste like lying. We have different resources. We have heavenly fountains that flow into our hearts and out of our hearts through faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. That he gives to us, moment by moment, his own life, his own truthfulness, as opposed to us depending on what we have, which is that rebellion nature. We never have to live life from our own resources again, or feeling like we are on our own. That just is not what we're expected to do. What a loving and compassionate God we have. He says, you've been living this whole time broken and, and, and rebellious. Just come and experience new life. It says here that he fills us with a renewed knowledge of the truth. That's what happens. So why are we tempted to lie to each other? Well, if I were to answer that, I would say, it's because we don't acknowledge our weakness and mistakes and we want to seem better than we are. Which if you could summarize that, it would be one word, pride. Right? Like the Pharisees that Jesus talked to in John chapter 8. And so let's go look at that in John chapter 8 real quick. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they are super mad. They are just so upset because Jesus says, you guys are false. Jesus calls them bad words. They call him bad words. Jesus confronts them with how evil and wrong they are, that they're not like God, and they are like saying all kinds of horrible things about him. And it's, it escalates and escalates and escalates into where we get to in chapter 8, verse 44 where it is just throwdown time. And it is, you know, WWE. He's jumping from the top of, you know, the, the ropes, and he's, you know, body slamming. And it's, 
It is going down right here. Look what Jesus, meek and mild Jesus, look what he says to the Pharisees, who their big deal is just pride. They just think they're better than everybody else, okay? He says, you are of your father, the devil. (laughs) And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. For when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Whoa, Jesus. Wow, he is pulling no punches. But there's a lot here for us to look at and to see. Do you guys remember how the devil became the devil? He, it was pride, right? He used to be an angel serving God. And in Isaiah 14, it describes the situation. It says that he was in heaven and he, his whole, he was so beautiful and his whole body was like a beautiful musical instrument and he produced the most beautiful, he was the worship leader in heaven. And he was up there and, he, and praise was going to God and he was leading it. And then he had this one little thought and said, I am so beautiful. And instead of thinking God made me this way, he thought, I deserve to be worshipped. I am so awesome. And God, knowing the thought of every heart, he instantly, like lightning, cast him out of his presence down onto the earth. And that's how the devil became the devil. He thought he was awesome. And he has planted that same seed into us. He started with Adam, saying, Adam, buddy, We don't need God. You can be fine without him. Pride is an internal thing. Satan could care less what the externals of your life looks like. Oh, go to church ten times a week. I don't care. As long as you think you're better than one person, I win. As long as you think you have it all figured out, I win. As long as you don't feel your need for, me, for God. You're living in rebellion and I win. Isn't that crazy? Maybe we've been fighting against the wrong things. Maybe we've been thinking the wrong, wrong way. Pride is an internal thing. It's sourced deep in the heart. You either believe that you can do it without God and his grace or you believe that you can't. Satan believes the lie that he can exist in rebellion against God. He literally believes that. He sold us on that lie as well. It's it's a self-sourced, self-dependent life that he's selling. And we are eating it up. I mean, our, our schools teach, you make your life what you want it to be. There's pastors out there, you can do it. It's a self-sourced, self-dependent life, but it doesn't stand in the truth. Did God make you self-sourced and self-dependent? No. He made you dependent upon him for everything. That's just the design of how you were made. Well, I don't want to be like that. Tough. Trees don't get to decide to be cars. They would make terrible cars. They just don't work that way. Okay? We don't work either when we are trying to do it outside of a spiritual life source. You were made spiritual, so why do you think you can exist without spiritual life? 
I saw a post this week, it really blessed me. If Jesus thought that he needed to know the word of God in and out and be in it all the time, what makes us think we could exist without the same hunger and dependence upon God's word? We shouldn't, we can't. This self-life that he sold us, it doesn't stand in the truth. And when the light of the truth shines on that kind of lifestyle, it can't stand. Satan doesn't agree with God or want to have communion with God's Holy Spirit, so he can't know the truth. People ask if Satan knows that he's going to lose. What do you guys think? You think he knows he's going to lose? Well, that's asking, does he know the truth? And I would say, I don't know. I think he's believing a lie. I think he exists in a lie. I think he's the father of lies. I think when he lies, he's not thinking, I'm going to go against the truth. I think it's completely just what he is. I live in this. I am going to rebel against God and I will win. Like, I think that's what he is. I think he really thinks he can exist apart from God. And I think that's why he's such a, an effective liar. Because he really believes what he, you know, they tell you how to lie, right? If you, if you watch 60 Minutes on lying, the special or whatever, they're like, you want to pass the polygraph when you're a liar? Here's how to do it. Really believe it's the truth. Does that make it true? No, of course not. It's still a lie. He believes he can accomplish what he wants through self-effort and self-determination, and he's rebelling against God. Again, lying, which is like self-effort and self-determination, is not compatible with the Holy Spirit. Obviously, Satan doesn't have the Holy Spirit, but you and I, we do. Anyone who thinks they get to decide how their life goes or what they should be able to do, what they sh- what, that they get to pick what they spend their money on, what they do for a living, they are joining in Satan's rebellion. Oh, but all I'm doing is what my college you know, teacher told me to do, which is choose what I want to do in life. God says, you don't get that. Why do you think you can choose what you do in your life? I'm God. You serve me or get out of here. I'm God. Now, I love you and I will save you and I want you to be happy, but you don't know what it takes for you to be happy. I do. So surrender to me and my will. Well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Read your Bible. You'll know. He'll speak to you. That's how this rebellious spirit gets into all of us. I want to decide how my life goes. Jesus came to establish God's kingdom, where God rules, not for us to be free to build our own kingdoms. Whatever you're doing in your life, ask yourself this question, am I building my kingdom or am I building God's kingdom? When you wake up in the morning and your, your wife is laying there and the dishes are, are, need to be done, which I didn't do this morning, sorry. You did? Thanks, Jay. There you go. You just lost your reward. <laughs> you know, you have a choice. You're, you can build God's kingdom or your kingdom. You know, if it's about me, it's, it's my kingdom. It, it's just, it works that way. But if it's love and, and, and others focused, 
That's God's kingdom, and God sees it. I know, but I'm alone, and, and I'm a single you know, mom or dad, and I'm spending so much time with these kids, and it's like they're drowning the life out of me, and I just feel like I'm doing nothing. God sees your love. He sees that you're serving him. And he will reward you, and he will bless you. Believe. It is valuable to him to serve him. You are building his kingdom. Those kids may grow. I mean, it may be like a seed that that germinates years from now where you don't know what it's going to be, but that kid might grow up to be the next Billy Graham or, or the next children's ministry director pouring into more little kids. I mean, you never know what God is going to do with your acts of service that only he sees, you know. Um, speaking of lying being incom- incompatible with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember a guy named Ananias? So in the book of Acts, right, the church is just getting started, and uh, a homeboy, Ananias, and his wife are like, oh, we're, we believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's our Lord. He's our master. And, uh, and so they, they sell some property, and they're bringing... They, they tell everybody, we're, we're selling the property for Jesus. Aren't we great? And, and so, but they hold back some of the money for themselves to accomplish what they want. And just, you know, it's their own. And, and they bring part of the property, right? Part of the money for the property. And uh, Peter sees them, and he says this in Acts chapter 5. Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan... I didn't know Satan was involved in this story. I thought these were two Christians, two believers. No, no, Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? I thought the Holy Spirit was incompatible with that, bro. What are you doing? And to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Just because you say, I follow Jesus, doesn't mean Satan is satisfied and like, oh, I guess I'll never bother him again. Let me keep working with Hitler. Oh, yeah, he's, a, he's with me. Sorry. Uh, I don't want to call anyone. Anyway, whatever. I was going to name politicians and stuff, but uh, I won't today. Satan isn't just satisfied with keeping believers away from Jesus, right? He wants to try to replace the truth that God placed in them with lies. He, Peter, Peter said, why has Satan fill your heart? Imagine your heart just like a cup, and when you believe, God's like, oh, you have access, and he's just pouring in God's truth and God's grace, the life of Jesus, just pouring it in, and all the muck and gunk that was in our hearts before, it's just, you know, you pour in clean water, and it's just flowing out, and you're, you're getting, oh, I'm Ananias, I'm doing all right, okay, all right, let's do this, and then Satan comes along, and he's like, get out of here. And he starts pouring in his own lies. And it just, it corrupts that bowl, that cup. It corrupts our hearts. Satan filled him up, Ananias, with this rebellion that said, you can lie to the Holy Spirit. You can be a Christian and lie and be totally cool. God will just accept it. You guys know this story, right? What happened? Right. God struck him dead. 
His wife came in, and she was in the same boat. They, were, they had the same heart. Satan had convinced her to, just like Eve and Adam. And God struck them dead. Why? Because you can't lie to the Holy Spirit and expect life to be the result. You can't think that you can live in rebellion and live in truth at the same time. They don't coexist. Satan's pretty good at getting believers to fill up their heart with lies. Most of the time, his lies are connected with self-effort and pride and my rights. I will not lay down my rights. We have the some anyway. He he. Those are his common common tactics. When we fall for these lies, our experience is the same as Ananias and Sapphira, spiritual death when we believe these lies. Just like Adam, God told Adam, in the day you eat of this tree, you will die. Did he? Spiritually, yes. It was a spiritual death. The day you believe a lie, you will surely die. Your heart gets filled with a lie, and the truth gets drowned out, and all of a sudden your spiritual life is like, meh, just dead. What's Jesus doing in your life? Meh. So let's sing a worship song to the Lord. Meh, meh, meh. Let's open up the word and hear his voice. It's like just death. Just mumbling, mumbo. Like, that's not the life Jesus bought you for. That's not what he gave you. He gave you fullness of life, joy, excitement. It happens to us all the time. So, we're going to play a game real quick. Okay? Two games. I'm going to give you a gospel truth, something God says that's true. Then we're going to see how Satan lies about it, and then we're going to see the spiritual death that happens when we decide to believe Satan's lie instead of God's truth. So, Bible verse number one is, game number one is, James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You guys ever heard that verse before? You better have, because I say it like every single week, right? (laughs) God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so Satan comes along and he says, oh, it's a good verse. You don't need God that much. You can do lots of things on your own. God would only help those who try really hard and do everything right and give their best to him. And he, he's twisted it, his rebellious, lying, corruption is now all over that verse. And so the truth of that verse, God says he opposes the proud, and so the spiritual death that happens is God will oppose everything you do. Even though you're his child, you're going to feel like his hand is against you. Like, why is everything I do cursed? Why am I not experiencing blessing? My bed broke and my uh, is not working and just it doesn't, nothing is working out. Why is it such a mess? You wonder why everything's so hard, why nothing seems blessed. Then you give up trying because it never works anyway. And I'm done going to church. See y'all later. Bye. 
Isn't that exactly what happens? The spiritual death is real. And we've all either been there or know someone that's turned away because the Satan's lie got in there and corrupted the simple truth of the Word of God. Just humble yourself. Acknowledge that you don't have it figured out. You need God and come to Him daily, moment by moment, saying, I need you. That's all He's asking for. All right, game number two. This verse is Ephesians 2.13. It says, In Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, what a glorious truth and promise that is. He's saying, it's done. You, you used to be as far away from God as you could possibly be because he's holy, you're an idiot, and you're a jerk, and you're a sinner, and he had cast you out of his presence, but you believed in Christ, and so you were brought near. Not just near, adopted. Not just adopted, in his very body. You are in him. That's the truth. But I don't feel close to Jesus today. Ah, that's not the truth. I don't care what you feel. You believe in Christ, you are in him. But I just did this. Confess it to the Lord, you're in him. But you don't know the depth. I don't care. Believe the gospel. You are in him. But Satan's lie comes in and he says, you idiot, you have to earn God's favor and you have to be good enough to enter his presence. You have to you have to try to get closer to him every day. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Bible just said, you are brought near. You are close. And Satan says, ah, but you could be closer. So why don't you give a little more? Why don't you pray a little more? Why don't you read a little more? Why don't you do a little more? Why don't you try a little harder? You, you know what? You'll never be good enough. You might as well give up. So, that's his lie. We believe it. And then the spiritual death happens this way. You put yourself in a timeout every time you fail. You think you're out of God's presence. You've been kicked out because you made a mistake and because you sinned. You think God is mad at you. When the word of God says you're close to him, you're his child. You discount the value of the blood of Jesus Christ so that you don't experience the constant love and acceptance of God that you should. Because for you, the blood of Jesus Christ just forgave you once. Instead of being that coat that we put on moment by moment and live in his love and in his acceptance. Life is torture when you're believing this lie spiritually it, you feel like a disappointment. You feel like you never measure up to the standard. And so you get depressed. You get down. And coming to church is like, man, I always feel so bummed out when I come here, so convicted. When that is not the truth. The blood of Jesus Christ and the gospel completely eliminates that possibility from being a reality. God is not mad at you. You're in Christ, you are forgiven. How can we avoid such lies? How can we abide in the truth and walk in it? You know, First John, in First John, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. 
There is no truth outside of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you listening to Jesus and his truth or are you walking in lies? Saying, I don't need God. I don't need his word. I don't need to pray. I don't need to be at church. I don't need to serve God. I don't need it. I can live life just fine. I can guarantee if that's the choices we're making, your spiritual life is dead as well. That's just your reality. Ananias and Sapphira aren't just a, a fancy story. It's a reality that exists in the church daily. People come in and say, yeah, that was a good sermon, but I wish I was more entertained, so I'm out of here. Bye, Felicia. And it's like, why are we so easy to, to just give up on believing God's word? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay? We got to know him. We know him by studying his word. That's why we give great emphasis to studying his word at church. We know him by prayer. We have nights of prayer and worship and prayer. If you guys need prayer, please send me a thing on the app. There's a prayer request thing on the app. I get them all and I pray for them. We have little pieces of paper. Pray. Okay? We're, come up after service, before service, say, I need prayer. This is going on in my life. That's the humble attitude God gives grace to. Okay. Oh, I don't need prayer right now. Oh, okay, thanks, Ananias. Maybe we'll just start calling each other that when we recognize the lack of humility. Ooh. I don't know. Let's see what happens. Okay, we're done, guys. That's our study for today. So we're going to sing a song. We have communion available here. So when we do that, we just, uh, you know, Jesus said that, that, we, that communion is a tool for us of remembering what he's done for us. And, and it's a way that we can kind of practically say, I accept that Jesus gave his body to be broken for my sins, that my sins deserve that. And I accept his new life pouring into me like the grape juice. You know, that new wine, that new life. It's so good. So would you guys stand with me as we sing a song and, and worship the Lord? Do we got a song? Okay, cool. <clears throat> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you uh, give grace uh, to us as we acknowledge our need and humble ourselves before you. And your Holy Spirit is, is so freely given to those who ask. Father, we do ask that you would uh, pour in your pure water, the, the pure water of the word of God into our hearts and push out that ugly, selfish, lie, untruth uh, nature that we all have. Lord, we, we need you, but Lord, we believe that you have provided all that we need through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection is truly all that we need. We pray for uh, each person here this week that we would go out and we would be a light to this world, that we would abide in you and in your grace and in your gospel. And I pray for next week for, for Easter God, that, that you would give us boldness to invite people, but you would also, Lord, just bless all the churches in this city that are going to be preaching the gospel. And I pray that many people in this city who are lost today will be found one week from today. And I pray that, 
Uh, Lord, you would help put people on our minds that we can intercede for and that we can ask that your Holy Spirit would be working in their heart and producing a soft ground so that when we preach the gospel next week, they would be ready to believe it and to receive your love and your forgiveness and your grace. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to be, uh, Lord, we want to serve you. And I thank you for serving us first, for washing our feet, for cleansing us, giving us resources spiritually so that we could be your servants. And God, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would uh, keep us safe in this week. Uh, Lord, help us in our blessings and in our travels to give thanks to you always. And um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.